welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. So today I'd like to introduce you to Stephanie Nyheis, who is doing a Master's in Religious, religious Studies under the supervision of Dr. Richard Askoff. Welcome to Grad Chat, Stephanie. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, I'm going to poke a little fun at Steph here. She was a little bit apprehensive coming <laughs> on to the show, but luckily she, she did say yes. And I'm not sure why she's apprehensive because she's actually working at uh, the studio at the moment, doing some some great work here. And we'll get onto that a little bit later. But also I, I find often with students who are doing a you know, one-year master's degree don't always think that they have enough to talk about. But, <laughs> you know, sure. Yeah, but your, your peers do. They've had lots to talk about because I, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Sam McClellan came on and talked about his role, uh, the role of medicine in investigating stigmata. Um, and then, of course, Alyssa Droog, who is one of the first religious studies students to come on the show, I think it was back in 2017, who talked about 19th century women, how they're writing the story of Adam and Eve from Genesis for children in religious literature. And so that was fascinating too. Very. <laughs> so now we've got Steph. Let's get straight into it, I reckon. Can right. you, I'm going to let people know your research topic and then can you give us a bit of an overview mm-hmm. of, of what that is? So your research topic is how perceptions of Greco-Roman cults affected the development and use of music in early Christianity. So let a rip, as they say back home. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that gives a pretty solid overview. But just to get into a little bit more of the specifics of it, I'm looking very much at the idea of the cults of Dionysus and what we kind of understand today as Bacchanalia. Dionysus was one of the Greek gods, and there were, and he was the, the Greek god of wine, frenzy, all of that, <laughs> all the fun things that we remember about the uh, Greek cults. And a lot of his worshippers at the time, uh, the, the perceptions are that they would go off into the woods, drink a lot, dance a lot, basically have a giant rave in the woods, right. uh, and then come back to society and, you know, go about their normal days. So what happened was that, especially uh, kind of near, once we get into, you know, first century BC, as well as into the rise of Christianity, these cults were, began to be prosecuted um, and they were banned from society uh, because of a lot of the perceptions surrounding them, especially as being hedonistic, uh, very sexual, very all the bacchanalia, (laughs) hence where the word comes from. Laying that uh, framework to how we understand, um, especially early Christian perceptions of this kind of bacchanalia and the cult of Dionysus, then it kind of can help us understand how a lot of early Christian celebrations and festivals began. Right. Uh, so then I take that a bit of a step further because, it, as you said, it's a one-year master's. You can only do so much. <laughs> so I'm looking at specifically how many of these cults would use certain types of music and dance. And I look at that under the idea of trance and right. kind of altered states of consciousness and how that kind of played a part in this. So then I look specifically at the type of music that they would use for this and how a lot of early Christian writers kind of got more into 
rejecting those types of music because they saw that as bringing about this sort of madness or mania. Right, right. And they're looking at the music as opposed to all the drinking that went went on. Yeah, although I think um, they're, they're both very intertwined. Part of my research is first understanding what this trance was. Right. And then going further into that and how the music kind of brought about that whole experience. So so you can't really divorce the idea of the alcohol as part of this experience, especially because that was a lot of what gave them those negative perceptions. Right, right. And so I I find it interesting you use the word cult. Or was it always were they always called cults? Yeah. Or was it just a modern form of talking about that group of people or that that time? Uh that's that's how we always refer to them as um okay. because they're not quite what we would necessarily define as religion because they were more intertwined with everyday life, uh, civic identity, etc. So it kind of went beyond the idea of what we would currently refer to as religion. religion. Okay, good one. So what is the relevance of studying pre-Christian and early Christian development to today's world? Uh, So I think first off the obvious side of that is the fact that Christianity has had such a lasting impact even to today. You know, you you can find its effects beyond the realm of just religion. You see it in politics and everyday life, especially, you know, when we start to look at this idea of Dionysian cults as well. There's been this kind of resurgence of understanding that as this almost natural religion, this pure form of religion in contrast to Christianity, which has become really interesting when you start looking at an obvious example is theater and Dionysus in 69 that was staged, which kind of brought to the forefront all of these themes and topics about everyone's kind of desire for this non-Christian religious state, right? So in the 60s and 70s, you know, we saw a lot with kind of the hippie movement right. and uh, rise towards drugs and alcohol and rave culture and all those things that kind of came about from the 60s until today. So I think it's really important to kind of understand how that plays a part in Christianity and kind of how that plays that politics in comparison. You talk about this trance state and altered states of consciousness, which is the ASC. <laughs> oh, I, it was, thank goodness you put that in brackets. And And how is it relevant to religious studies? Because you could easily say, for instance, the hippie movement, with all the drugs and drinking and everything else that's going on, they're getting themselves in a trance-like state. But how does that come become a part of religious religious studies and things like that? Yeah, so this is probably my favourite part of my research. <laughs> um, I think it's quite fascinating. Is it that era that you're looking at or the whole lot? In general? Just in general. Just in general. Um, I've been quite fascinated with the idea of why people like to seek out these kind of altered states of consciousness to Mm. kind of sum it up. But even in today's world, you know, looking at music festival culture and, you know, what we see at raves and, you know, people seeking out psychedelic drugs, I find that very fascinating. And, you know, I kind of want to know the why of that. And what I've kind of learned is a lot of it can be tied to religion because of a lot of what happened during this time period that um, my research focuses on. And that's because... It was this idea that the gods would kind of come down and instill this madness into you. And in order to get rid of this madness, all you could do was dance. (laughs) You had to dance. You had to move. I interact a lot with Plato in my research, who talked a lot about the importance of moving the body and the soul in conjunction with one another. And I just I think that is very fascinating because you can get ideas of trance 
like I said, when you look at contemporary society, that's completely divorced from religion. Yeah. You know, someone that goes to a music festival and takes drugs and goes into this kind of frenzied dance state where they're not fully kind of conscious, conscious. in this mm-hmm. plain view, I guess, that is not religious from its perspectives, right? But I think then you take it into context of what was happening during this time period and you are kind of seen as when you kind of leave this state of consciousness, when you leave this worldview, you enter this like mystical consciousness is the term that I like to use, which was coined by William James, who's pretty prominent in our field as kind of the guy who understands religious experience rather than just religion as it exists. And so you kind of compare it with that mystical consciousness and it opens up to a whole new worldview of what religion can be, be. um, especially taken out of kind of the institutionalized four wall religion that we often associate with the term. So how, how has this changed in in Christianity though? Because I know a lot of this stuff because Dionysus, whatever his name was, he was one of the sons of Zeus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other one was Apollo. Mm -hmm. So Christianity would have thought that kind of thinking and everything or just those gods and things were like to do with paganism and things like that. Mm-hmm. So how did some of that stuff get brought into, say, the the Christianity? Yeah, so that's where my research kind of mm-hmm. goes into um, was these views of, first off, as I was saying, you know, the this was kind of seen as a divine madness inflicted by the gods um, and most often associated with Dionysus, although there is talk of it being you know, inflicted by other gods. So then because a lot of it was seen as being kind of divinely inflicted, that was a way of kind of understanding how Christianity could maybe, I don't want to use the term intercept the religion because that makes it seem negative, but that is kind of how it was, right? Where they could see that, okay, well, how do we kind of stop this interaction between the gods so that they understand our God better? And how do we kind of create this unified, monotheistic worldview that doesn't include this kind of mania and frenzy? But then beyond from it, you know, you get into ideas of how alcohol functions in Christianity and right. perspectives on that. So it was was the turning point during the Roman times, because that's when Christianity came into Roman times. And we all know from literature that you might have read about the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. they had lots of orgies and things anyway Mm -hmm. yeah but did that continue when christianity became part of rome for sure there was there's this great book and uh actually so there's this great book by a guy named pierre chauvin and uh there also is a new mountain goats album that just came out all about pierre chauvin and we actually just uh reviewed this uh, album on our show at cfrc called listening party Uh uh, which is quite interesting Um, so you can give that a listen if you're you're interested in this topic but he does a really good job of overviewing what kind of happened during the rise of christianity to these pagan groups uh, and what tended to happen was Christianity obviously was becoming the forefront. They were kind of in political power. So a lot of these groups had to kind of go into hiding. So they were right. still existing, but they were doing so illegally. Okay. Yeah. So okay. it started to become an issue of persecution as well, because quite often they were being killed or exiled. And so it kind of, they had to fight back. So um if this topic is of interest to anyone, the, the book is quite interesting because it outlines a lot of the last kind of hopes that many of these pagan groups had. 
So where does the music part come in? Because you can understand, you know, the trance-like state or the states of consciousness if you're using um, alcohol or drugs. But then if you look at music in terms of what happens, say, in some of those other religions where they've got the, you know, the, the piper swaying the, the snake to make it into a trance-like <laughs> state. I mean, so what part of music there makes that trance-like state that you're talking about? Yeah, so one of the main scholars that I interact with on this area, his name is Gilbert Rouget. He's a French ethnomusicologist from, uh, I, I work mostly with his book that was published in 1985. Okay. He works in a really interesting cross-cultural format. Uh, so obviously, because of the nature of his work and the time period, some of it is very, I guess the best way to put it is colonialist. So it's important to take that into account with his work. Uh, however, I'll much of what he did, especially on kind of pinpointing what trance is and defining trance, uh, is really important to what I'm doing because he makes it very evident that any culture, especially when it comes to religious trance, it is so intertwined with music. It kind of becomes this, I think the way he puts it is, it's almost like a mantra. So once the music starts, it kind of signals this effect. And what I found really interesting from his work and kind of the work that's been done since is this idea that the music that induces trance does not have to be the same. There's no pattern of what exactly that music is. Uh, so if you look at all these different cultures, a lot of them have very different music. So something that he notes is that it usually has he calls it religiously charged elements of music but again that can be different to every single culture what you define as religiously charged right and then going beyond that there's been work done since um there's a woman named judith becker who's looked at this idea but she's kind of approached it in more the idea of deep listening so she kind of looks at the fact that it doesn't have to be religiously charged music it can be any music so it can be something that you just have a personal emotional response to. And this is di a trance is different to being in a meditative state. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very. So I think we need to make that distinction right. Because I notice even, even growing up, um, you know, you can get yourself not necessarily in a trance, but you get yourself into a different headset when, for instance, if you're singing some of the hymns mm -hmm. in Christianity. But then you can have other ones who are shaking their tambourines and things and you can get yourself involved with that and sort of not necessarily an out-of-world experience type thing but you can get yourself so ingrained in what's going on and you're just totally whatever's whatever's going on around you is irrelevant you're not seeing it because you're just so focused mm -hmm. so is trance more of a focus yeah a little bit um i think there's different levels of it mm -hmm. as well some of the more some of the things that in my research I would use the term trance on uh, kind of exhibit certain symptoms or behavioral qualities. Okay. So the first one is becoming in that altered state of consciousness where you become unaware of what's going on around you. Right. But that can be then extended to meditation. Um, we can look at, you know, the flow state and things like that. So then when you get into trance, Oftentimes, that's also associated with certain symptoms that can go anywhere from passing out and fainting from exhaustion. Okay. That can go to there's discussion of people foaming at the mouth, you know, and so the, there's different levels of that trance. Right, yeah. Right. And because you see some of these, they still call themselves Christians, but 
some of the evangelical ones where they get everyone such a hyper hyper state yeah you see that a lot with uh pentecostalism especially mm. yeah where you get into more of those spirit guided elements of christianity but that's that's still a little bit different though isn't it a little bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah and it's also it's definitely something that we've only seen over the maybe the past 50 years or so right yeah so it's definitely very new okay because i remember even growing up as growing up a catholic i mean when you went into the church it was became this place of it, it wasn't the dancing and things it was the state of calming and mm-hmm. listening and stuff like that and i used to love the music yeah and i guess that's a trance state in a in a different kind of way yeah for sure um and and again that's kind of i think today's catholicism is maybe more in line with what the writers uh, that I'm working with in early Christianity were talking about because right. a lot of what they promoted were singing in unison. They didn't like, at the time, they didn't like a bunch of harmonies. That's kind of changed a little bit. Okay. And then as well, getting into, you know, no percussive instruments uh, and certain scale modes. And that's kind of when it starts getting into more music terminology that <laughs> sometimes is over my head, but I still love it. <laughs> I just going into mass these days it's all it's all changed so much from when I grew up so mm-hmm. including all the music that gets that gets played I mean the hymns aren't the same as what I used to know them I've mean, <laughs> gone off on the wrong tangent oh there. I what feel happened? the same <laughs> <laughs> kind of, what, what happened so I guess it, one of the things I do like to ask is you know why in particularly for your particular uh, program why is religious studies important as a discipline mm-hmm. so I think it can go in so many different directions. So many, yeah. So I think I touched a little bit on this in the f- first question you asked when we talked about, you know, the relevance of studying pre-Christian mm-hmm. and early Christian development. But it goes obviously so much more beyond that. So as I was already saying, you know, uh, religion is so heavily tied up in so many aspects of life already. Mm-hmm. The main obvious thing that comes to mind is politics, you know, that affects our everyday life. But I mean, even if you look at the people, some of the people in my cohort we're all studying very interdisciplinary things. You know, you you already talked to Sam yeah. uh, who looks at medicine and religion. You know, there's somebody yeah. who talks about disability studies and religion, one girl that talks about ecology and religion. And so I think it just goes to show that religion kind of puts itself into so many different parts of the world. Right, right. And I think, too, um, even going beyond that, we're kind of at this very interesting stage in the you know 21st century where people in general, I guess, are trying, are thinking they're moving away from religion. So then you kind of get a lot of challenges on that front as well, where, right. you know, you say you're studying religion and people are like, oh, well, like, who cares about Christianity anymore? Um, but then you also look at the fact that things like, being spiritual but not religious people like i even said going to music festivals and entering these translates like states you know there's obviously this desire for kind of this thing beyond right what you see in front of you and i think that because of that religious studies become so relevant just kind of understanding why we have this need and desire and kind of where that stems from and how that's gonna look well what made you choose your your topic uh so do you I, love music? I love music. Okay. Probably why you're working here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. No, I love music. And for actually the past few years, I've worked for Wolf Island Music Festival. Um, okay, right. Yeah. And as well at the grad club. So yes. I've kind of been 
put into this environment where live with live music and there's something that being in that environment there's something so unique about it right and I'm just so curious about why that is and then also you pair it with the fact I am a huge nerd for Greek mythology. <laughs> I think it's fascinating, um, especially when it starts getting into early Christianity, because I grew up as a Presbyterian. Right. So I was kind of put in this environment all the time. And I was very lucky to have parents who always tell me to question everything. You know, they they brought me to church, but they never made it seem like that was the be all and end all, right, you know, right. and it kind of inspired this questioning in me to say, okay, well, I love music. When I go to church, this is the music we listen to. Why is that? You know, why do you see videos of people at like the Hillsong church, for example, is a big one that you've got these people that are in these, you know, interesting states where they're so involved in the music and what's going on, but they're having this experience in their own right. Right. And I think just looking at all of that, I, I was just so curious as to why that is. So it's been really interesting to kind of dig deep into this one specific area, even though it's a little bit of a kind of niche area. But it's good to have a little niche area. Yeah. And I think that's interesting, too, that because you'd like the the Greek mythology and stuff like that. So you've managed to bring it all in together with, with all your experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's been fascinating. <laughs> you see this. this I always love the, to understand why people went into certain research mm-hmm. because yeah. it because something's happened to someone that they in say in health because they know someone who's been sick and they want to sort of get around that or is it someone in you know ecology and things like that because of they want to save the environment and then in yeah. your instance you just <laughs> love music and you love um, Greek mythology and you've managed to bring them both together so yeah <laughs> and it's doing it all in one year even better for oh you oh my goodness it's a lot <laughs> <laughs> so what I'd like to get on to now before we actually finish is you know we're very very lucky here is Steph who is a one-year grad student here which is um, and as we've heard she's doing some great work there also has been working at the grad club but you're also working here at CFRC, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. What made you want to come and work at CFRC? Oh, so uh, and what have you got from it so far? <laughs> I've always loved CFRC. Uh, I've been at Queens now, um, well, at, in Kingston for about six or seven years, right. I guess. Uh, and so when I started my undergrad, you know, I, I came and started volunteering here a little bit. Um, and I always love the environment. I think if uh, if anybody hasn't been in the studio before, there's something about walking into our physical music library that if oh. if you love music even a little bit, it's fantastic. It's the most exciting thing. Can't wait till I retire and actually go through <laughs> it properly. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the fun thing about being here. Sometimes I have a few minutes in between meetings and I yep. just go check out what's new in the library. <laughs> but so that's that's a big part is I just love the environment here. But I also think that the kind of community work that CFRC does is so important mm-hmm. and I love being a part of that just in a little bit and so I think it's it's really important and I feel that aside from having the opportunity to explore my own interests on the radio right. I think also I've learned so much already I've only been here for a few months I've learned so much already about the Kingston community and the Queens community just right. by what everyone else is doing here as well and it's been a really, really cool experience to get to do that. So so have you managed with all the COVID-19 things going on? Because, I mean, I know like in Grad Chat, ours are pre-recorded. And so apart from today, all the other ones I've been doing remotely. Um, so hopefully this one is going to sound a lot better than the other <laughs> ones in terms of quality. 
but have you managed with all the programming because a lot of people may not be able to do recording outside of the studio so how has that managed yeah. the CFRC? Um, it's been really interesting because I actually started in May so right in the heat of everything <laughs> uh, so I don't know anything else but we've uh, we've actually been working really hard to Dinah the station manager has gotten some grants where we've been able to get some USB microphones to send home with some of the volunteers who are unable right. to get in. We've kind of worked on expanding training on how people are able to pre-record shows and send them in. Right. And then for those that still want to come in live, we've been working really diligently to make sure that uh, the studio sanitized in between sessions and uh, making sure everyone feels safe. So it, it's been a challenge. But again, you know, like I said, I, I don't know anything different. So it'll be interesting <laughs> when, when things kind of calm down a little I, bit. I think sometimes it's great because it's, it's made us all look at other ways of doing what we would do normally. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those are actually going to be probably good to be in place when we get back to whatever the new norm is. Oh, for sure. So hopefully we don't learn something and then forget about it later. Let's just keep incorporating (laughs) everything that we do. Yeah. (laughs) So how can other people get involved with CFRC? So we... uh... We do volunteer intakes um, as often as possible. So if you're interested in volunteering at all, you can email me at programs at cfrc.ca or you can just check out our website, cfrc.ca, and there's plenty of information there as well. So for anybody who's interested in either, you can have your own program, you can help work on other programs. So if you're interested in helping out on something that already exists, you can reach out to those programmers. If you want to just sift through the new music library, (laughs) Dean always needs help with that. So there's plenty of opportunities, whatever you're interested in. And so definitely reach out because we're working on doing some volunteer training right now it is hard because of social distancing Mm -hmm. but we are working on doing volunteer training this summer but we'll have a lot more going on in the fall as well so that's fantastic when I get some time I will come back in and I was was saying to Steph earlier I I probably need to do a bit of a retrain (laughs) because it's been a long time because we've been going since 2016 January 2016 and I'm pleased to say we've been going every week which is good but it doesn't hurt to get up to date with anything that's changed because at the moment, I, as I was saying, I, I know what buttons to press and then that's it. <laughs> it's a good start. <laughs> it, it is a good start because it does record. So, yeah. <laughs> so all those sorts of things happen. So moving forward then for you, as we mentioned, your program is only one year. Mm-hmm. And so if all things come to fruition, you know, writing up your final project and things like that. So then what happens after that? Uh, I'm I'm going to be here for at least the next year working at CFRC. Excellent. Um, hopefully the grad club opens up very soon. Oh yes, that would be nice. And I'll get back to work there, which is great because you know I I decided not to apply for a PhD this coming mm-hmm. fall. Um, I just I think I I'm not quite ready, and not so a that, ha- that happens. <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> but I think it is really nice because at CFRC in the grad club, you're you're constantly around people who just are. Get passionate you, about everything yeah. yeah um and I mean that's the reason you know I, I even got into my master's in the first place I I took a few years off in between right uh my undergrad and my master's and just being around all these people who are just so passionate about you know just knowledge in general um is amazing so I will hopefully continue to be part of that that's great and that's then we'll great. see what happens after that yeah yeah what well, there's no rush 
and this has just been an extraordinary year for everyone so um yeah <laughs> who knows what's happening next year <laughs> exactly <laughs> take one day at a time i reckon yep <laughs> <laughs> steph it's been great chatting to you we're probably going to have to call it quits there but yeah. thank you so much for stepping out of your office and coming into the studio. <laughs> yes, it was a far commute. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? <laughs> Thank you for coming in and uh, letting no, me be on the show. No, I'm, I'm glad you did. We'll have to have you back at some stage. Yeah. Maybe when you do that PhD, we'll have you, <laughs> we'll have you back. So thanks very much for coming on. Thank you. So that's it, everyone. A, another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.